0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Fence Watch Radio, on the front lines of truth and liberty.
0: And then hope he gets picked up in Seattle. Well, if you send your people in there after him, they'll get killed. You know, we're just a small hick town sheriff's department, Colonel, but we're expected to do our duty just like our heroes in
1: the special forces. In special forces, we teach our people to stay alive in the line of duty. No shit, I never thought of that. If you want a war, you can't win. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us?
0: You send that many. don't forget one thing. What? A good supply of body bags.
1: This is Ray Starman, your host on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. It's 6 o'clock in Los Angeles, California. A cold, blustery day in sunny Southern California. Looks like winter has finally arrived here after those fires a couple weeks ago. Today's subject on this hour-long show of U.S. Defense Watch Radio is a good supply of body bags. And that, that uh, last segment I just played there, that scene was from, of course, the 1982 movie First Blood Rambo. Actually, Rambo One. We'll get into that later. And we're going to talk about, we're going to continue our discussion uh, from last time when uh, Chief Hunt was talking about the complete erosion of standards at a Special Forces Qualification. course, we're going to go into that in a little bit more detail, kind of pick up anything we missed. And we're going to backtrack before that and talk about how it all started. How did the U.S. military get itself into the situation right now, a situation where social engineering is destroying the military's very soul? We're going to get into that in about five or ten minutes, and first let's talk about some of the news. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world today. We have, of course, the tax bill that was passed in, uh, last night for you on the East Coast. It was uh, sort of in the uh, early middle of the night out here, a little about 11 o'clock at night, and I think one of the great things that came out of that was that the Obamacare mandate was repealed. Is there anything more un American than telling you that you have to, one, buy health insurance, and two, if you don't buy the government branded health insurance, that you're going to pay a uh, penalty? I mean, that's straight out of uh, a socialist Europe. Didn't we all leave Europe? Didn't we all leave other countries in the world to get away? From that kind of despotic behavior, and yet the Democrats, they want to send the United States, in, you know, back into socialist Europe. Basically, they want us to be like Sweden, like Germany, like Britain, like France. And, and and the only reason they're not getting away with it is that at least half the population's so-called deplorables are not going to allow it. Europe is Western Europe is going down because their population is the equivalent. Imagine if you lived in Sweden right now or, or, or Germany. It's almost gotten to the point where about 85, 90 percent of the population is pretty much like our Democrats in the United States. Imagine living in something like that. And Germany's changed a lot. I can tell you when I stay, uh, was stationed there, late 80s into the early 90s, you still had the World War II guys, post-war generation that just would not have tolerated the complete. Anarchy that has been caused by the the um, the opening the doors of Europe to literally the whole Middle East and North Africa. That's another subject for another day on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. But that's what the Democrats want to do. They want to turn our country into Sweden, the sequel. And I don't think we want it to be that. Well, maybe Bernie Sanders does. Bernie Sanders will to turn it into Kremlin part, The old Kremlin. Let's take a look at more highlight uh, the uh, headlines that are going on today. Kim Jong Un testing new warheads loaded with anthrax. Well, that's not exactly new. North Korea has always had uh, chemical munitions going back into even into the 70s. The question is that the warheads that he's testing uh, are much more sophisticated. And one wonders, where did Kim Jong-un get all this technology? Like, find it on the internet, just went in, you know, Google how to uh, how to create an ICBM. A lot of the stuff was sold to China in the 90s by the Clinton administration. That's another thing that really hasn't gotten out. Maybe one day it will. About how the Clinton administration sold China, a lot of our missile uh, technology in the 1990s. Clintons have been committing treason for a long time. And hopefully uh, the wheels of justice... Will eventually grind exceedingly small, and they will face their day in court. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with North Korea, but I'm telling you right now that uh, I don't think the situation is good. I don't think uh, that we can, we can uh, basically want to allow them to keep what they're doing, and I don't think they're really listening to us. I think that they think that uh, Trump is basically like Obama or a Bush 43, Bush 41, Bill Clinton, that they can keep getting away with a lot of stuff, and we're just going to kind of ignore them. In the old days, North Korea used to misbehave, and we would just tell them, hey, we're not sending you any more grain, and then they would mellow out. We'd send them some grain. They'd be quiet for about a year, and then they'd be bad again, and then we'd send them some more grain. But now it just seems like with Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un's nickname in the reportedly in the North Korean military is Kim Squared, He's twice as crazy as his dad or his grandfather. They were crazy in their own way, but this guy is on his own level of lunacy. He's, you know, these guys live in their own world. He really is living in a bubble. You think the Democrats in a bubble? You think Keith Oberman lives in a bubble? Kim Jong-un, believe me, is living in a bubble. MS-13, Menace's Community, just miles from White House. MS-13 is just a byproduct of our open borders, something the Democrats want because the Democrats, that's all they can get is immigrants now under voting bloc. Uh, pretty much Americans in middle America have abandoned the Democratic Party. Like I've said before, it's no longer the party of Jack Kennedy, of uh, old man Dickie Daly. It's basically the party of immigrants. They come in. And the Democrats promise them everything from, you know, free health care to paying for their parking tickets, a car. I don't know. What else do they want? Free Costco card, something like that. And so that's the voting block. And now with open borders, we've got MS-13 running around. These guys are bad news and they've got to be dealt with. Maybe that is one thing apparently that the Justice Department is doing under Jeff Sessions, actually dealing, trying to deal with these guys. Sessions wakes up, deals with the immigration, goes back to sleep. Never does anything on Uranium One or any of the other stuff. How about the Hillary email thing? Apparently today the, uh, the House uh, is basically going to uh, submit the subpoenas for several members of the uh, Justice Department, the FBI, the DOJ, concerning the, quote, investigation of Hillary's uh, email server. The fact that she basically had her aides uh, white out, erase, delete, whatever you want. Uh, the classifications on the top and bottom of each uh, document or email that went through there, there there's, we could get into that another time, but uh, basically, uh, if any of any of us would have ever done that in the military, anybody was in Intel special forces, whatever that had a clearance. Uh, if I did it, you'd be sending me a Christmas fruit cake, a panettone for the next hundred years at Fort Leavenworth care of race arm and defense watch radio Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Not Hillary though. Is there above the law? Well, maybe not anymore. Maybe slowly. Really, the water is seeping out in a dam. is going to burst. Hopefully. Hopefully. There's a topic here humanoid sweats as it works out. This whole world of AI is getting scarier by the day. I mean, I think we're going to get to the point where everybody's going to have some kind of C3PO robot in their residence. It's coming. And uh, the scary thing is, what if these uh, robots basically turned on you? That's going to be a movie in itself. When we come back on U.S. Defense Watch Radio, we're going to get on to our main subject, a good supply of body bags and a total decline of the U.S. military. And, yes, it is in decline. I don't care what anybody says. No matter what they spin, it is in trouble, even under the mad dog who's in his doghouse somewhere sleeping. We'll be right back. On U.S. Defense Watch. Covey
0: leader calling Raven. Come on, Raven. Covey leader calling Raven.
1: Covey leader to Raven. Talk to me, Johnny. We're back on U.S. Defense Watch after that short break. That was, of course, another clip from uh, Rambo First Blood. You know what's interesting about that movie is when it first came out, uh, even Richard Crenna, who really, I think, as the years have gone by, um, I think people realize that even though he was a little old for the part, Richard Crenna himself was a World War II vet who had served in both the Pacific theaters and in the European theater in the Battle of the Bulge. But he really did come across as kind of an SF guy, an old colonel maybe who had been passed up for general about ten times and was still somehow clinging to uh, his, uh, his SF uniform. Richard Krenn himself said that when that movie came out, the whole thing was basically a cartoon. You know, he had this guy who's going to take on, you know, 200 people. He was an expert in unconventional warfare, a small town. And this uh, Colonel Troutman, Krenner called him a cartoon character of a, of a soldier you know, was, uh, was, um, Rambo's boss in Vietnam. But I think as the years have gone by, people kind of look at that movie in a different light. Yes, it is. You know, it's out there. Okay. You know, nobody's going to be able to, you know, take on 200 guys, even the old SF people. I'm sorry. You can't take on 200 guys, do you? maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred, not 200, but I think I think if you examine that movie and, and you know, modern day film critics look at it and, and they're basically saying that this movie is about PTSD. And I think that anybody who's been in any kind of conflict, um, I think there's people that have it really bad, depending on what you saw and stuff like that, or people that don't think they have it at all, but maybe they're carrying a little bit of around. Maybe the – you know, I think a lot of what the veterans – that they, and I think you see that in the movie, is that they they don't think that they have anybody that they really can talk to, anybody that you know is kind of like them anymore. They they get out in the in the world after whatever conflict of like Rambo's you know was in Vietnam, and he's just in this foreign environment where nobody understands him, and the only guy that understands him is you know Colonel Troutman, who was you know a bird colonel, and you know what's Rambo is maybe a, well he was a sergeant on the, on the team. But here's this guy who's a high-ranking officer. He's the only guy he can talk to. And, and I think that the movie, while, you know, like I said, it, you know, maybe it's cartoonish, and, and Stallone himself, uh, his whereabouts during the Vietnam War uh, were under question anyway. The fact is that the movie had a little bit more depth to it than you think. And I think um, it's not, a, it's not you know, just a one-star action adventure. There's There's something more to it. And that brings me to uh, one of my readers last night sent me something and it said, hey, do you remember the scene from Rambo where Colonel Troutman says, you know, we're going to need a good supply of body bags. And I said, hey, thanks for that. Thanks for that. I was going to originally do it as a title of an article. Maybe it will someday. But I, it just kind of dawned on me today. It's a good topic for the show today. Because we're going to need a good supply of body bags in our next conflict for two reasons. The first reason is that the people we're going to be going up against are going to be the North Koreans, maybe the Russians, maybe the Chinese. Um, You know, and these guys are um, opponents that it's going to just be a multi-level fight. What do I mean by that? We're going to be fighting against guys that have an Air Force, maybe a Navy, a conventional army and unconventional forces. Uh, and, And let's take a look, you know, the last fights that we've been in, Afghanistan, Iraq—brutal stuff. No, I, and, and I'm not taking anything away from anybody who was there because the stuff was brutal. It, It's—it was—it was basically fighting an insurgency. It's not the same, basically, as something that we haven't seen in a long time, like with the Korean War or World War II. And I think that's the kind of level we're going to see. And I'm telling you right now, we're not ready for it. I've said it a million times, and yeah I don't know how many times I've actually said to myself before I've written one of these articles, like, how many more times can I beat a dead horse about talking about the social engineering, the feminization of the military? And every time I think that you know nobody's going to be interested, those are the articles that that do the best on my site that go viral or potentially go viral. If I just write an article about President Trump, God bless him, you know, people don't respond as much. People are worried. The veteran community is worried. The problem is the active duty community. The leadership is not worried. Everything's great. They think everything what's the problem? Okay? You know, and how have we gotten to this point where I'm I would say, you know, and I, I've asked some of my friends of all ranks from guys who are just, you know, Joe Privates to, to generals, you know, what what's the percentage of guys on active duty or people on active duty that are liberal social justice warriors, hate Trump? think believe in this social engineering nonsense and 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 pretty much the number is at least 50 percent and it's shocking it's shocking the military really flushed out a lot of people that were good in the last 10 years and let's backtrack before I get on today's subject of, of going into further detail about what is going on at Fort Bragg and I think that what's going on at Fort Bragg is probably one of the most important things one of the news, most important news stories in the last few months, because it, it's barely going to set the tone for our whole military and our whole performance in the next war. And if we don't square ourselves away, we are going to be needing a good supply of body bags, like Colonel Troutman says. Of course, he's referring to something different. You know, like I, the social engineering disaster debacle that we're watching now, and I think it, it's really reached a crescendo here at Down at Bragg. It started in the 70s and 80s, where you, but you, the, the thing is, in the 70s and 80s, you had just a few people. You had the Patricia Schroeders, this glorious diamonds, and they were saying, hey, you know, women, we need to give equal – women need to be fighter pilots. They need to be in the Rangers. They need to be in combat, and nobody really paid much attention to them. You know, there were a few adjustments made, um, a few things that they gave in on, but for the most part, the military hummed along. And then you had Tailhook in 1991, Um, and that you know anybody's ever read any of my articles about what happened, you know, post Desert Storm, is I I think a perfect description of the military after Desert Storm was won. You know, in, in in late February 1991, by the summer of '91, the air was literally being sucked out of the military. A lot of these guys, like that, had you know led us to victory. That fought in Vietnam, they were they were you know thinking, okay, what do I have? Twenty days left, in a wake up, I'm done. That was it. We we vanquished the ghosts of Vietnam. I'm out of here. And then you had the um, downfall of the Soviet Union, and the military was basically people to leave. Every you know, I remember remembers those times. You know, guys that had seven, eight years in at least, they they were getting out. They were taking that $30,000 paycheck and leaving. They thought it was great. Hey, I did my time. Here's the paycheck. I'll find something else to do. So the military lost a lot of people. Then you had tailhook. If I remember, I believe it was September 1991 uh, when that happened. It was a rowdy party. It had been going on forever. The tailhook convention, I believe, was in Vegas. Guys, uh, Navy pilots, liquor, and women. Well, you know what's going to happen there, okay? Maybe it got a little out of control, some women said that they had been assaulted whatever yada 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 the next thing you know hundreds of naval aviators and you know uh, admirals commanders lieutenant commanders tenants and and whatever skilled people were leaving were forced out of the Navy the Navy has never recovered from that to this day because tailhook basically set the tone for every, crazy thing that's been going on in the Navy. From lousy surface warfare officers to pregnancies on ships to babies being born on ships. You know, and away we went. And Tailhook also served as a moment to open the door across the military, like let's use the Army as an example, to allow women to serve in support units that they'd never been in before. Support units that got closer to the front lines and you had the units like the transportation company that Jessica Lynch was in they got hit by the bad guys some of the people in that company performed well others didn't that Jessica Lynch would never have been in that unit if it would have been ten years before you know some people said okay oh, and, and I think the problem with all this stuff is is like anything else in life is okay all right, we don't really agree with that, but, you know, it's not going to get any worse. Well, it did. Because the army became, and the military became a giant an elephant being attacked by ants. Liberals, social justice warriors, the feminist lobby, the LGBT lobby, everybody piled on. And then you had, or they allowed women to be pilots. Well, some people have problem with that. Other people don't. That is probably not as much of a disaster as they thought it was going to be. But a woman flying a a plane is a lot different than what we're seeing today. Okay. You had the uh, the Iraq war and Afghanistan wars, and some of the stuff was put on hold just because the military was busy fighting two wars at the same time. And then when you had President Obama's inauguration, that really set the tone. Obama brought in Martin Dempsey eventually, Uh, Don't ask, don't tell, was repealed. And then they went after, began to go after the crown jewels of the military. The crown jewels of the military and the army and the marines are the combat arms and special operations forces. What are the combat arms? People don't know, know that. Infantry, armor, armored cavalry, artillery. What are special operations? The Green Berets, the SEALs, the Rangers, Marine Recon. And Obama, Obama and his administration wanted women in the combat arms to fulfill a liberal agenda with this idea that they're giving women opportunity. Anybody who's ever served, like I said in my other show in the combat arms, knows the, f- the gigantic physical and mental strain that literally sends men to the breaking point in a, in a war. doesn't mean you're losing your mind. You're just physically and mentally strained. And when I come back, we're going to talk about what ha- is going on now at Fort Bragg which is really the crescendo. It's gone two years almost since Ash Carter authorized women serving the combat arms, special ops. And now what's going on at Bragg? We'll be right back on us defense watch radio on the front lines of truth and Liberty.
0: on U.S. Defense
1: Watch Radio. This is Ray Starman, your host. We have about 36 minutes left tonight in chilly, blustery, possibly rainy Los Angeles, California. We talked with Chief uh, Hank Hunt and we had our guest, uh, who was also a former Special Forces, uh, last time on U.S. Defense Watch Radio about a letter uh, that was written by one or several members of the cadre at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center and School. This letter was a scathing 14-page attack on the officers and senior NCOs, sergeant majors, who are running the school and how they've allowed the standards for those who want to earn the Green Beret to go completely down the latrine toilet. And I'm telling you, there are no standards. Now, I wrote an article last night that was up that said that the standards at Army ROTC basic camp in the 80s theoretically were tougher than what a Green Beret is going through right now. A guy wants to be a Green Beret, and you're saying, Ray, come on, stop. This is this is not true. It is true, and we're gonna are I'm gonna explain it all. And I can tell you right now that the standards for the make believe Southern Methodist University Ranger Team in ROTC in the 80s were tougher than what is required for somebody who wants to earn the green beret. And if you want to talk to me here on US Defense Watch radio my call-in number is 347 934 If I put you on hold for a couple minutes, uh, don't get angry, just uh, stand by and we'll get to you as soon as possible here. And this letter has been circulated um, on sites like uh, SOF rep uh, it's been it was on the New, in the New York Post I believe on the hill, dot uh, com, several big, big sites. Uh, I'd love to see it on drudge report, something like that, where, where it could really get a lot of coverage. I'd love to see Fox news, pick it up. Um, they haven't touched it yet, but it's, it's very, very serious of what's going on in the military right now. It basically, this 14-page this letter basically accuses the cadre of just, like I said, dropping the standards. And they said that and, – and, and they do and, – and I believe that this letter was written by more than one person. I really do. And they, and, and the people that wrote it, they say we, I, we completely understand that some of those reading this may be skeptical. Of course, somebody might be skeptical. How could the Green Berets allow themselves – to go down the drain like this. We're talking about one of the greatest fighting forces in the history of the planet. If things are not straightened out, we're not, one, not going to have Green Berets anymore. Although they'll be walking around with Green Berets, they won't be any more valuable to the National Defense than the Girl Scouts. And we're not going to have a military anymore. It it will be a military on paper. They'll walk around in uniforms. It'll be a joke because it's heading that way to be a joke. And the people that have allowed it to become a joke are pretty much my generation of officers in the military. I'm 52, so what would I be if I was in the military right now? I don't know, probably a two- or three-star general. Those are the people my age. I would have never have made it there. I have too big of a mouth. I would have been sent cubby holed somewhere and never seen the light of day after lieutenant colonel. But the fact is I accuse my generation of moral cowardice in the military, of self-serving self-effacing attitudes that have allowed the military to become a petri dish of experimentation for idiot fools like Kirsten Gillibrand and Claire McCaskill probably couldn't run a mile down a road without collapsing and know nothing about the military. Your moral cowardice has allowed things to get out of control. And it's sad to say because my generation had great mentors, a.k.a. the Vietnam veterans who had stayed in the military and vowed, to make sure that things like this never happened again, not the feminization, there was nothing like that, but vowed that we would never go to war with one hand behind our back, and that they vowed that the Army would never get into a point where it had to be completely rebuilt. The situation was different then, with a lot of draftees that didn't want to be there, and druggies and criminal gangs that roamed the barracks, but now the Army is getting to the point where it has to be completely rebuilt. The only difference is that the problem then, after Vietnam was largely at the bottom, they just filtered everybody out that were causing problems. The problem now is at the top. The United States Army is a fish rotting from the head. And I'm going to continue it. Let's take a look at – I believe this is about page eight or nine of the article. And they basically say, why, why are they dropping all these standards? Why are they dropping all these standards? I'm, about these, what's, well, I'm going to read to you some of the stuff going on. It's to pave a way for a female Green Berets. Women cannot make the cut at Fort Bragg in the Q course, just like they couldn't make it in ranger school. I don't care if those three women, they said they graduated. <laughs> I know that they did not graduate honestly. If they graduated honestly, why won't the Army turn over the green cards from Benning of the three women, what they did there? Why are they continuing to flout a congressional request from Congressman Steve Russell himself, a graduate of Ranger School? So what is the special forces saying? They're like, well, instead of just fraudulently graduating women, we'll just completely get rid of all the standards so anybody can pass. Your 100-year-old grandmother with a walker, she can be a Green Beret if she wants. That fat slob you knew in high school couldn't run halfway down the block without collapsing. Hey, he's in the Green Berets too. Okay, so the authors of this letter, I'm going to do some highlights here. They talk about how in June of 2015, everything was still humming along normally down there. I call it uh, Smoke and Mirrors Hill. It used to be called Smoke Bomb Hill. I'm calling it Smoke and Mirrors Hill. Basically, uh, the flagpole for the JFK Special uh, Warfare Center and School. February 2016, DOD Directive. For special operations forces to integrate women. Oh, I bet that was a, a great day down there. I bet they were happy to see that. In January 2017, the first female attends special warfare or special forces um, orientation course and is boloed out of there after, I don't know, she stress fracture during a ruck march. What a surprise. Uh, July 17, 2017, Major General Zontag, Zontag, Dismisses all special forces orientation course testable events. Students will take the physical test, but they can no longer be relieved for them as they are considered diagnostics. Hey, you can't do any push-ups. Don't worry about it. We'll get you through. Don't worry about it. You don't have to have any upper body strength because this is Kirsten Gillibrand's military now. We're giving everybody a chance to be a Green Beret. Students can no longer fail the special forces orientation course Except for voluntarily withdrawing or getting injured, <laughs> it's unbelievable. September. Tw- Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a beret. September 2017. 2017. All graded special forces Q course PT events are still banned from being conducted. Have you ever? All those people served in the military. Have you ever? Did you ever hear of a PT test being banned from being conducted? Uh, Well, maybe down if you're down to Benning and the wet bulb factor was maxed out and was, you know, 150 degrees in the shade and the humidity was, you know, 200 percent. They might have stopped it for the day. But indefinitely. Okay, Uh, October 2017, town hall meeting with Cadre. A sergeant major assures every single person present that the standards are not going to be changed. Well, excuse me, Sergeant Major, what's been going on? Here's one for you. That's what I love. November 2017, an ordeal occurs with students in language phase. They're forced to show up for an additional PT formation. Apparently, not many of them showed up. Just decided they didn't want to do any PT. They want to be Green Berets, but they don't want to be any do PT, so that's okay. Then they, uh, also November 2017, uh, it's announced that students will graduate from the Q course after Robin Sage is over with. Robin Sage is that... Um, sort of capstone uh, field exercise that uh, they've had down there for a long time. Uh, the language phase is no longer a requirement. Green Berets, that's one of their things they've always been known for, is being able to speak languages. Remember the beginning of the movie with John Wayne, where there are guys are ta- out there speaking, you know, Norwegian, German, Vietnamese, Russian, yada, yada. Don't worry about it. We don't need any Green Berets that speak languages, even though we might have to interact with a, local indigenous population. Don't worry about it. It's general And I don't say that lightly. I had hopes for him. He's just as worthless as the rest of them. All right. And the cadre talk about this is the state of the entire Special Forces Q course as it stands today. Students who do not, students do not need to be able to pass a two-mile run at an 80% standard. They do not need to pass a five-mile run in under 40 minutes. In the make-believe land of the SMU ROTC Ranger team, you couldn't be a little SMU ROTC Ranger unless you could run five miles in under 40 minutes. But at the Special Forces School, the real-world Green Berets, that qualification is now out the door. They do not need to be able to pass a 12-mile ruck march in under three hours they are not required to find any points during their land nav training and assessment. All right. That one really makes me incredibly speechless. You're not required to find the points during land nav assessment. What is the purpose of being out there then? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. You know, you're out there wherever you were, you know, and and during the day or night and you're trying to find these, these, you know, little six digit or whatever that was number that's on some metal, post out in the middle of nowhere. You, you, you write down the number and then you go on to the next one with your compass and your map. We're not always going to have GPS. Oh boy, here it gets worse. They do not need to be able to perform 57 push-ups or 66 sit-ups. Wow. Because women don't have any enough upper body strength to do 56, 57 push-ups. Most women. They no longer need there are no longer need to be able to climb a 15-foot rope with weight on. Hmm, I wonder why, because that takes up our body strength. Students are no longer administered any form of physical or administrative punishment. For God's sake, even in ROTC basic camp, they push you around if you screwed up. Good God. You know, I like to tell my story. We're out in the range, uh, lefty, firing M16 all day, no brass deflector. I had about 300. <laughs> my, my right arm looked like somebody had extinguished. 300 cigarettes on it Uh, my reward for taking the pain was to be given a bunch of full 30 round magazines to fire at the mad minute at the end of the range before we marched back and this is just ROTC basic camp okay this is you know they didn't really want you to get kicked out and the drills I know that was it was not nothing like basic training for the EMs they were on you know they were basically on 20% mean but they were still mean and they were giants they were Vietnam vets and we all looked up to them but it was nothing It was just an intro thing, but they were still tougher than what's going on today, which is scary. After passing a nineteen day ish selection process, there are no physical barriers to earning the coveted green beret. These were all standards for every green beret in modern history prior to this month. To say that standards have not been eliminated would be laughable, were it so tragic. Good God almighty. Good God. And here we go. Here's another one. This is one I like. Uh, let's see. They're lowering the uh, during during the 55 pound ruck march. You uh, that has been toned down to 45 pounds. Why don't they just have, Why don't you just carry an empty ruck? It makes it even easier. Okay. Now we talk about how the in the, in the letter they give some examples of you know students there that had problems. That were allowed to pass. We have a sergeant first class who sounds like a badass. And he was reported multiple times by students for conducting PT that was too hard. What in the hell is going on in the military? Can you imagine any old special forces people that are listening? How about just old supply guys that are listening of complaining because the PT was too hard? He would routinely take the students on runs ranging from 6 to 12 miles. My God. You know, at MI, officer basic course, about once or twice a week, they'd run up the mountain. I think it was eight miles running back. It was MI school. You know, Intel guys could do eight miles in the morning. It just shows you what's going on in the military right now. I I can't imagine ever complaining. Who would I complain to? Who would you complain to that the sergeant was being mean to you? (laughs) All right, let's get to another one here. Here's a Sergeant First Class, a language tack, was administering routine P on a Thursday before a four-day weekend. During this particular formation, roughly one-third of the students decided, for whatever reason, not to show up. Hey, don't worry about it. It's just the Army. Unbelievable. He was apparently... uh, this led to him being relieved of his position because the students also said that this guy was mean, too. These are Green Beret trainees who can't handle being PT'd. Is it, is it the Green Berets or is it a freaking Ralph Lauren Fashion School? Good God. Then we have another one, a Sergeant First Class was newly placed as attack in small unit tactics Searface. He immediately started a PT program, and he routinely worked out with his students. During one session conducted at Tal Stadium, he was reported yelling at the students. His use of foul language resulted in him being immediately fired and moved to Battalion S3. We wouldn't want a sergeant yelling at anybody, particularly in the Green Berets. Good God. Command favoritism. This is part of the letter says command favoritism. A specialist was an 18 Bravo trainee. He was first caught attempting to bribe an instructor with beer. Bribing an instructor. That's interesting. A sergeant, E5, was given an NTR for nearly a dozen infractions during his tenure in the Special Forces Q course. The one that got him an NTR involved lying to cadre multiple times in conjunction with failing to report and failing to follow instructions. Approximately one month after beginning an NTR, he was reinserted into training. Here's a captain uh, who was reportedly recycled about 10 million times. He finally became a Green Beret after they let him through about six times. Here's another captain uh, who during Robin Sage quit on his team during training. He was brought before the 1st Battalion Commander in a closed-door personal meeting for over an hour. After he exited, he had decided that he wanted to continue and graduated the phase with his class. I'm sure his buddies, I'm sure his fellow troopers loved him. Here's a staff sergeant who failed out of the, failed four times, never able to pass the 15-foot rope climb, a 25-pound weight vest. He was tested on the rope climb, again, with no, uh, apparently with no cadre present, and suddenly miraculously passed. It goes on and on and on and on. This is one hell of a letter, let me tell you. I really wish more media outlets would pick up on it. You know, some of these outlets with a lot of firepower. We come back on U.S. Defense Watch. We're going to talk about this more. And where is it going? Where is this all leading? I think we already know. We'll be back on U.S. Defense Watch. on U.S. Defense Watch. We've got about 15 minutes left here in lustery, cold, and possibly rainy Los Angeles, California. This is Ray Starman, your host. I'm also the editor-in-chief of usdefensewatch.com, a site that's been around for about two years and focuses on national security, defense, and politics with a conservative, politically incorrect viewpoint. We say it the, like, the way it is at U.S. Defense Watch, unlike the perfume princes that are running the U.S. Army now. And I'm telling you right now, and I am not exaggerating, that the leadership of the United States Army is gutless. They, you are gutless, and I accuse you of moral cowardice for allowing this to happen. And you know who you are. There's a few good people left. And of course, the troopers are, are good. They're just trying to get in there and serve their country and learn. And they deserve more than, than NCOs and officers that are worthless if you want if you don't want to do it the right way then get out and obviously cutting all these standards is for one reason they want to allow women in they know they can't make it and what the hell is the point of having the green berets if it's going to be worthless and i've never heard of people whining like this oh pt was too hard i've never heard of that maybe say to your buddy yeah, i didn't really like that one i can't imagine Oh, excuse me sergeant that was tough that was too hard i got to file a complaint sergeant why did you make me run eight miles this morning? Because uh, you want to be a Green Beret. That's why you worthless. Freaking weakling. You know, I mean, this this stuff is just outrageous. It really is. But I mean, we I knew we were getting to this point point. and anybody who's read the site, they knew I was getting to we were getting to this point. I mean, David Hackworth was talking about this 20 years ago and Hack, God bless him if he was alive today. He'd be having a heart attack at some of the stuff. He thought it was bad in the 90s. I mean, Hack originally, there was a great article that, that Hack wrote, The March of the Porcelain Soldiers, when he went to basic training to observe down at Relaxing Jackson in like 1999. Hack thought it was horrific then, okay? I remember he said that he was walking through the airport and a bunch of women that had just gone through Relaxing Jackson, they had these little Snoopy Army teddy bears they had given them. I'm sure that would that's the kind of martial spirit we want to instill among our soldiers. But of course, just relaxing, Jackson. That's support people, and that's the attitude they have. But everybody's a rifleman. You know, and and you, you thought, you know, you saw it coming. How about the, the the male ROTC cadets that were forced to parade around in red high heels? I'll tell you one thing if somebody would tell me to parade around in a red high heels in ROTC, I would have told them to shove it with the red high heel. I mean, the thought of that is just to show empathy for what some some garbage feminist cause that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with fighting wars. That is what the military is for. One thing and one thing only, it is to fight wars and win. It is not a social engineering project. You know, another thing that was my favorite was the lactation support and readiness memo that was distributed in the autumn of 2015 it was originally signed by John McHugh who paved the way for the three female ranger school graduates who basically blocked Congressman Steve Russell from getting any of the records no 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 conspiracy there with major Scott Miller major general Scott Miller's blessing and then the lactation support and readiness uh, memo was, uh, I believe, re-signed by Eric Fanning under the Obama administration as they were out the door. And my favorite line from that is, "Commanders should balance lactation support and readiness," because you know if there's anything that the military needs to be focused on is a breastfeeding mother. You know, we got to make sure that there's places, pumping stations, breast milk in the field. Women are going to be deployed with adequate amount of breast milk in the field, whatever. And that that memo was distributed to Worldwide Command. Special Operations Command got that memo. And people are going to say, well, Ray, what about the woman as the secretary and the officer at Fort Bragg? She read the memo. Yeah, what about the guy in Delta Force that saw that memo? What the heck does he think is happening to his military? Okay, it used to be in Delta Force. He might have a, a memo. Not that I was in Delta Force. They had a memo on, you know, we're not going to be used in- <laughs> Whatever red tracer rounds for this field exercise, we're going to be using green. We stole some from the Warsaw Pact. Okay? And we're going to use enemy tracer rounds to simulate the Warsaw Pact, green tracer rounds, whatever. Now the memo: of lack of support. The military has become feminized, and it's allowed to happen because the leaders of the military are gutless cowards. And it continues to this day, and the Secretary of Defense is gutless. I'm sorry. I supported Mattis when he came in. I thought he was going to, you know, the mad dog. He's going to get in there and chew some ass. He's going to straighten it all out. He's not straightening anything out. He's letting it all happen. People can say, okay, well, maybe he's so busy dealing with all our problems, Ray, that he doesn't have time to focus on all this stuff that you talk about every day. Well, maybe he needs an assistant secretary of defense that handles that kind of stuff. But it's obvious that he's allowing this to go on. So I'm going to say this right now, that Mattis needs to go. If he can't get the job done, he needs to go, and Trump needs to bring in somebody that's going to kick some ass and get, stop this insanity before we do not have a military left. The Green Berets are on the edge of teetering into oblivion. And I can tell you, I'm talking to people like Hank Hunt. That the Special Forces alumni community is up in arms about this. They're watching their life fade away, and I mean it, because some of these guys had been, that the green berets were their life. They, it was a career for them, you know, and they had to bust their ass to get through it. And now the whole thing's being turned into a circus. When you don't have to be, a, when, when you're dropping all physical standards, don't have to do them a certain amount of push-ups. Forget it. We're not going to have a fifty-five pound ruck anymore because we don't want anybody to be strained out there. Okay, you know, once again at MIOBC, that tough Army Intelligence Officer Basic Course at Fort, we got you now, got We used to go on thirty-mile ruck march or fifteen-mile ruck marches or whatever. You know, starting in the early morning. I don't know. We probably had a fifty-pound ruck. I don't know. You're in your early twenties. So you should be able to handle it. Just go on the ruck march. You come back and you go to class. You just OBC, MI. We well, have so an eight-mile run. MI, OBC, doing eight-mile runs in the 80s? Green Berets in 2017, can't do any runs like that. We wouldn't want to stress anybody out because we want to graduate a bunch of women to make Kirsten Gillibrand and Claire McCaskill happy because they're running our defense policy. Okay? And so where is it going to stop? Where is it going to lead to? Well, if it's not stopped and we get into a fight, it's going to not go well. You know, if we got into a fight now, I don't know how it would go. I guess the special operations is still good. they got guys in there. They're probably okay right now at this very moment, slipping away. The conventional forces, we have a lot of problems. And one of, one of the things we can talk about on a later show is the death of the United States Army Armor Corps. That, that There was a great article written, excuse me, a couple of years ago by a guy named um, – Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Gentile, I think he was still on active duty when he wrote it, brave man, brave man, one of the guys who broke the code of silence that goes on, has been going on in the military. They God, got, you know, like brave, like these guys down at Bragg, brave people. And I'll tell you, these guys down, you, you, you guys that wrote this article, Bragg, you, you're my heroes, okay? I've been calling for people to speak up for a while now. And finally, I mean, like, not like they're listening to me, but finally somebody had the balls to actually do something. Before disaster ensues. But anyway, we don't have um, an armored corps. Okay, we don't have that many tanks left. I can't remember the exact number. There's basically what happened is we fought. We've been fighting insurgencies, you know, since 2002, 2001. And, you know, pretty much the every guy is a Lawrence of Arabia mentality swept through the military where we're going to just fight insurgencies And everybody's Lawrence of Arabia, know how to interact with the local population. Everybody wanted to be that special forces guy. And the mechanized armored capability, the army has gone into the toilet. Okay. And I have a few uh, buddies that are involved right now with training armored and mechanized forces and the army is scrambling to try to fix the problem. They did wake up. Thank you. They are waking up on that, trying to fix it. But, you know, it takes a long time to build an army. Barry McCaskey was the commander of the 24th Mechanized Infantry Division in Desert Storm, a man who would last about three seconds on active duty now, as would General Schwarzkopf, and that guy on active duty. Um, he must be rolling in his grave right now. God bless him. Um, Barry McCaffrey once said that Desert Storm wasn't one in one – or the ground war in Desert Storm was not one in 100 hours. It was won in 20 years by the guys who rebuilt the Army, like Dick Cavazos, Norman Schwarzkopf, and Barry McCaffrey, Shy um, Meyer. In fact, Dick Cavazos, people know him from the armor. Dick Cavazos was a great guy. I met him one time under uh, funny conditions during an exercise. General Cavazos, he's one of the guys who got out of Vietnam and just stayed for like Frank Fra- Fred Franks, Commander 7th Corps, and then he decided that, you know, they got to, they had to repair the military. It took 20 years of training on reforgers and at Grafenberg, Hohenfels, the NTC, for us to create an armored mechanized force that was, one, capable of fighting the Soviet Union if we had to, if they would have gone through the Fulda Gap into West Germany, and allowed us to destroy the Iraqis that that war, you know, it's like General Frank said, it, it wasn't, may have been short, but it wasn't easy. That's We're going to have a coming, fact, that leads me into next week. Uh, I will give you the date exactly, We after Christmas. We're going to have a Gulf War roundtable on Operation Desert Storm called Desert Storm, the Forgotten War. Lessons learned from the war. What did we do well? What did we do poorly in that war? Operations Intel-wise. And was the Army better then? Was the Army worse in some aspects? And we're going to have about four or five guests. One of our guests on that show is going to be Major General Jack Lighty, retired, a former Green Beret. And he was actually the J-2 during the Gulf War, a man who spent a lot of time in the war room with General Schwarzkopf. The head intel guy during the Gulf War. He'll be one of our guests about four or five guests. Hank Hahn will be back talking about Army aviation during the Gulf War. But that army was built in 20 years. So the problems we have now in our armored mechanized forces are giant. You know, we have lieutenants that don't know how to read a map. They, uh, in the armored community, they're so used to working on GPS. I understand that. They're, they're young. They came from a digital background. But they, um, I've been told that the learning curve is high. We have sergeants, staff sergeants. Sergeant First Class is that uh, can't qualify on a tank or Bradley because they haven't done it in so long. There are there are armored Cav and armored officers and senior NCOs who can't run a combined arms range. Okay, I'll tell you a story right now how good the military used to be. During a Calfax combined arms live fire exercise at Grafenvere, this is about 1989. Walked up to the tower with a guy who was a, a corporal in the S2 section. He had been – he was an actually a 19 Delta cap scout, but he was tasked, attached to the S-2 section. The, OI, the NCOIC was gone for doing something for a second. The OIC had to go take a break for 10 minutes or go somewhere. So they, he left me and this corporal in charge of the combined arms live fire exercise. Now, I was an MI officer and young. Let's just say my skill set of running this, this range was not high. The corporal ran the whole range for 10 minutes. The army was that good. The corporal who was the 19 Delta Cav scout ran the whole range. Okay. Theoretically, I was in charge, of course, but he was really in charge, the corporal. And that was the kind of skills we had. Then it's just one story to illustrate the kind of skills the army used to have that, that in the mechanized armor community that they are lacking. The army, I don't know how you could rebuild it. I don't know how they, what they're trying to do now. They're going to try to cr- put 20 years of uh, what they did before into you know a year. They're in trouble. You know, the U.S. military has always been able to rebuild itself. It had readiness problems with equipment or training. They've never been under siege like this with the social engineering, and that is the biggest problem. We can find smart guys that are young to, you know, figure out what to do, how to use the equipment, how to learn the tactics. You know, they'll catch up. It's the social engineering that is the biggest problem. Imagine... You know, in World War II, when we had to catch up, if our military would have been under siege by liberals and social justice warriors, you know, we'd be speaking German and Japanese. It'd be like the man in the high castle right now. Thankfully, we didn't. We had a lot of ass kicking people that beat the hell out of the Nazis and the Japanese in World War II. And you can thank God every day for those guys. The military is in trouble. And the social engineering, I believe, is the biggest problem. And like I've said before, it's now gotten to the highest level at special forces training at the General Center and School at Fort Bragg. Things are not – they don't change. And I, I really I, – I hope that anybody listening will try to spread this. Send it to your congressmen, your senators, whatever. Try to send it to people at Fox News to cover the CNN and MSNBC, they're not going to do anything. They're part of the problem. Get it out there. Spread the word. Tell them that this needs to change or uh, we're going to be sending our young people home and we're going to need a good supply of body bags. Join me next time on U.S. Defense Watch Radio to cover national security, defense, and political issues with a no-holds-barred, politically incorrect tenor. I'm Ray Starman, and have a great evening. I'm going to leave you with the words of General George S. Patton as he's leaving um at the end of the movie, Pat, and I think it's one of the greatest endings of any movie. It really kind of speaks volumes about what's going on in the military now. Have a good night.
0: For over a thousand years, Roman conquerors returning from the wars enjoyed the honor of a triumph, a tumultuous parade. In the procession came trumpeters and musicians and strange animals from the conquered territories. ...together with carts laden with treasure and captured armaments. The conqueror rode in a triumphal chariot... ...the dazed prisoners walking in chains before him. Sometimes his children, robed in white... ...stood with him in the chariot or rode the trace horses. A slave stood behind the conqueror... ...holding a golden crown... ...and whispering in his ear a warning that all glory is fleeting.